Ron. There we go. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at promises to those who fear the Lord. And um, the, this is not really a beginning to a series. Uh, I know I do that a lot. The, this is just kind of what God was speaking to me in my quiet time. I, I had another idea of what I wanted to share this morning, and God kind of shut that down and said, no, I want you to share this. And um, <clears throat> it's kind of interesting. I, I, I had an interesting conversation on Facebook last night, and uh, isn't that great that we have Facebook for that? Uh, this was a conversation that was completely about God. And uh, some people were asked, they specifically asked me to chime in because they were having a hard time correlating God of the Old Testament, who was full of wrath, vengeance, and judgment with the God of the New Testament, who seems to be full of grace, love, and mercy. And I, I wasn't seeing the disconnect, which... I have a different view of the Lord that you can't appreciate the the New Testament version of his nature if you don't understand the Old Testament version of his nature. And when I look at all of those things and realize that God made me in his image, there's a reason that I have wrath, vengeance, and anger to go alongside of my mercy, my love, and my grace. And... And when you, when you start to encapsulate it and get a full picture of who God is, you understand that, that God didn't design hell as a, as a place that he wanted anyone to go, but it's the default consequence of living a life of sin. That, that there had to be, if, if accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and accepting him as your savior meant you had an eternity in heaven, there had to be an opposite. And by default, by not choosing Jesus, you default and you choose an eternity in hell. And it's a choice you made because God loved you enough to let you choose. And that's one of the only places where I can find where God is actually very pro-choice is he lets you choose how you're going to live your life. But in Psalm 25, we find this, and a lot of biblical historians say that David actually wrote this song later in his life. And, and as we read through, some of the verbiage will tell us that he must have been older when he wrote this because I, I don't see a, a person in their late teens, early 20s, talking about the sins of their youth. I just don't see it. And I've heard a lot of 20-somethings preach, and they don't always really talk about the sins of their youth because I've been around. I live with a whole herd of people of ages that are definitely youth, and I watch some of the things they do, and while they're ornery and mischievous, it's not like they're openly rebellious and sinful. I don't think I was a real sinful kid at age seven. I'll just tell you, I can remember clear back to age seven. Praise the Lord. Now, if 
Next year, maybe I can remember back to age 11. But we'll, we'll go with I can remember back to seven at this point. And I don't think any of the things I did were intentionally sinful. You know, I wasn't trying to live in rebellion against God. I just hadn't really come to a knowledge of what living for him looked like. Now, later teenage years, I was pretty sinful. But even as a young preacher in my early 20s, I never talked about being youthful. So I think, David, this is older. And, and some of the other things give us hints to he was an older man when he wrote Psalm 25. And, and we really don't know when the, the scholars, the, the, the ancient people who put the Psalms together, how they put them in order and how they numbered them. We don't have a great, we weren't there. And, and it's just speculation as to when each of them were written because there, there's later Psalms that sound exactly like something David would have wrote when he was running and hiding in the cave from Saul who was trying to kill him. Uh, Psalm 54 being one of them. And anyway, I'll, I'll quit chasing that rabbit. But it, you got to go old school today because we don't have it up on the board for you. So uh, you'll have to open your Bible to Psalm 25. And we're going to read through the, the whole Psalm because it's very, very beautiful. And uh, just capturing what it looks like for someone who feared God. And then we'll go pull out those six things I wanted to share today. Psalm 25, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. I'm going to have to untangle my vacation tongue. It's not used to talking. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes 
and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all his troubles. I was looking at this and, and just kind of right in the middle of it is, is where we start to find these promises that, that are given to people who fear the Lord. And, and we're going to jump in and back in in verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. Okay. The, the, the first part of that is, is kind of an odd question to, to us because the, the New Testament church, all we ever hear spoken about is fear not, don't be afraid. You know, and, and we know that there's 365 of those verses in the Bible. There's actually more than 365 that reference that thought. But something that the modern church has gotten comfortable with is, is we try and make God a, a big, comfortable, fluffy genie that, that when we, we need something, we go to him. And, and we, if we say the right words, if we are in the right posture, he'll grant us what we ask for. It's kind of the, the concept that feels fairly taught in a lot of churches. So we struggle with this question of who is the man who fears the Lord? Uh, I've, I've preached a sermon. I don't know if I ever preached it here. I may have. I'll have to go check my notes that was titled the only acceptable type of fear. And, and that is to fear the Lord. And, and a lot of people are like, well, I don't. I, I had one person come and tell me. Uh, I preached a similar message at a camp meeting, actually. And a lady came and said, I, I don't like that you tell people to be afraid of God. And, and I said, sister, I love you, but I want you to understand this. The God who spoke everything into being with his words, he spoke it into being with his words. If he says it, it happens. And if he decided that he was done with my obstinate rebellion and wanted to wipe me off the planet, all he'd have to do is say so. It's not that I'm terribly afraid he would ever do that. I just respect that he has the authority to do that. It's not I'm telling you to be afraid. It's who is the man who deeply respects who God is and the authority and the power of God. When you know who God is, it's a healthy kind of fear to respect him. Why do a lot of people say, you know, I'm, I'm going to quit doing that, that habit that God's been convicting me of. It's not because they feel overwhelmingly sorrowful, but a lot of times they fear that God, and you'll read it throughout the Psalms, David over and over cries out to God, don't take your spirit from me. And that was based in the fear of if David rebelled against God, that God might push David to the side and choose his next in line. How many of you have siblings and you know what it's like that you don't want your you don't want little brother to get something you don't? 
I got a whole row of people over here that are looking at me now remembering last night. Because we split up in Walmart and behavior in the store dictates what happens after the store. And after the store is usually ice cream. Behavior of four or five kids was not good. So I was worried we were going to have a coat of many colors thing from the Old Testament where they're going to throw somebody in a pit and sell her. But it didn't happen. They, they, they come to understand. But they understand. And, and now their behavior is not just firmly rooted in the fact that mom and dad love them to hold them to a standard. But there's also a healthy fear of if I don't behave, I'm not going to get the promise of ice cream. It's a healthy fear. But the thing about fearing God is it doesn't come without the ice cream, so to speak. The, a person who fears the Lord, the ice cream is he'll be instructed in the way he should choose. So sometimes when you're struggling to make a decision, you need to come back and just talk to God and tell him, you know, God, I, I don't know where to go, but your word says that if I fear and I... And if you want to plug in a different word because fear is not comfortable for you, if I deeply respect who you are, that you will, you will show me what the choice should be. In spite of my heart that's desperately wicked, I tell you my heart wants a new vehicle so bad some days. It's desperately wicked because the vehicle I would get would never seat all my kids. And the one vehicle I want to get that would seat all my kids, it's like, no. Uh, not going into debt for that thing. But he'll instruct you in the way you should go. When, when you have to make tough choices at your job, do you really want to do that on your power? When you want to make tough choices for your family, do you want to do that in your own power? I, I'm telling you, I would rather trust deeply respecting the guy that wrote my story before I ever stepped into the world on what direction I should take. But that's promised to us as believers if we fear the Lord. The second thing is in verse 13. And I, I couldn't come up with a better phrasing than this, but spiritual prosperity. Because I don't want to get up here and, and preach the prosperity gospel that I don't believe in. I, I don't believe just because you're saved that God's going to make you extremely wealthy. That's nonsense. Okay, in this world, you'll have trouble. So if you're one of those people that's going to be extremely wealthy, you're going to have trouble still with the IRS. But spiritual prosperity, in verse 13, it says, His soul shall abide in well-being. Uh, one of my favorite hymns is, It Is Well. And if you ever have time to go study when that hymn was written and the circumstances at which it was written, you, you will have a deep appreciation for the hymn because it was written by a man who had just lost his entire family. Just lost his wife, daughters. Lost his family after losing his business. And what's he write? It is well with my soul. The, the person who fears the Lord will abide in well-being. His soul shall abide in well-being. The, the next thing is that there's a promise in that same verse to your future posterity. 
that the, the way it reads in this translation, his offspring shall inherit the land. Sometimes, you know, the, there's that great old sage proverb of, of good men plant trees knowing they'll never sit under their shade. And, and we as, as Christians are called to plant into the lives of our children knowing we won't always see that inheritance come in. Uh, I, I'm living proof of that. And I've shared that testimony before that my grandmother's prayers she never got to see fulfilled in this earth. She prayed that I would be saved because she believed there was a calling on my life to share the gospel. Your offspring will inherit the land. The fourth thing that you're promised is a divine confidant or a divine friend. Psalm 25, 14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. I, I kind of laugh at the, the fact that when we all get to heaven, we're going to be friends, but I want to be God's friend on earth. And uh, the beginning of that friendship, and if we look at it realistically, the beginning of any friendship is based on respect if I don't respect somebody I can't really be their friend and and with God it's deeper than that respect so the the only word that kind of fits is fear and it's not because I'm afraid of him but I'm just in awe of who he is and the fact that he's so holy and righteous and pure and he chooses to call stumbles and messes it up everyday me his friend. You ever had a friend that was just better than you? I've had those. I've had friends I didn't deserve. And, and that's how I feel about God is he's a friend that I don't always deserve. But he takes this friendship to another level. In that same verse, the second half of it is because he considers you a friend, he makes known to you his covenant. And, and that's another word that's not strongly emphasized enough in the modern church because it doesn't come up often in the New Testament is covenant. And, and that is a solemn vow or promise that can only be broken by blood. If you go back in the Old Testament and, and read about when God made his covenant with Abraham and the way that the sacrifice was offered, it represented you would literally have to be torn in two to break that covenant. God would have to be torn in two to break his covenant with us and, and to give us the new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. What, happened to, what had to happen to Jesus? He had to be Brutally murdered on the cross. There's not a nice way to put it. And in that same hour, according to Scripture, the veil that separated us from God, that separated the Holy of Holies from the common man, was torn in two. And, and you don't understand what that really symbolized if you don't know what the covenant of the Old Testament says. 
There's a reason I'll never quit preaching out of the Old Testament. It reveals to us the deeper truths of the gospel of the New Testament. And, and you can't understand Revelation if you don't understand Daniel. I'll just tell you now. The, the Old Testament and the New Testament are linked. And if you ever see the cross-reference with the colors, it's just gorgeous. Uh, I'll have to throw that image up when the tech comes back sometime. But think about the secrets you used to share with your friend. And imagine that God wants that type of friendship with you where he reveals things to you. He reveals the truth of who he is to you on a personal nature. And the last one, the, the promise to those who fear God is deliverance. And in Psalm 25, 15, it says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. We, we don't know what it is to, to be, you know, hunters and trappers like they did in the old days, where, you know, they, they didn't have these wonderful things called shotguns to shoot birds out of the air. So they, they had devices that would launch nets that would catch birds they they had they used true snares which you know some people still trap that way but mo most people now we just go use a gun we find small woodland creatures that are delicious and in their life and and cook them in a barbecue or dehydrator or stew well okay it's getting close to lunch i'm starting to talk about food but we we don't think about ourselves being that animal that's being hunted. And I want you to understand that the enemy of your soul will hunt you relentlessly. And he will set traps for you based on information from that he knows is hardwired into you because you, you have this fleshly desire that once we send in the garden, it, it began to reign in your body until the power of Jesus Christ allowed you to, as Paul says in Romans, to crucify yourself daily. That, you know, I die daily to my sins. I've crucified the old man. I have put to death my old ways. You know, over and over and over, we hear about this in the New Testament, but, but we don't ever think of it as that is a way that we are escaping traps that the devil has set for us. And when you begin to fear the Lord, you understand that he will... According to this scripture, pluck your feet out of the net. He will move you to where you avoid walking into traps. He will guide you through the power of his Holy Spirit through one of the gifts of the Spirit mentioned in the New Testament by Paul, discernment, where you'll say, you know, I'm really not even going to try and turn that TV program on. Now, I'm not going to listen to that newscast today because it's going to trigger something in me that will not be pleasing God. Not going to go down that aisle of the store because that's exactly where the Oreos are. I'll amen that one because we ate, man, we ate some Oreos on vacation. and I paid for it yesterday on a 5K. But God literally moves you out of the path of a trap when you begin to fear him. It's like you, you don't have to be as consciously aware of these struggles because God will bring them up for you. What a, 
what a friend. You know, that, that song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, if you go through all these promises, they show up in that hymn. Those guys that wrote hymns were really smart. I mean, they, they had to know the Word of God really well, and modern chorus writers are getting better. I know there's a lot of people, I, I love both varieties, but if you saw my playlist, it, it weird you out. I'm almost as good as Dale of having a variety. But this morning, I want to wrap this up with the last thing. And it was the last thought that God brought to my mind was when you fear God and, and you begin to walk in all those promises that we talked about, when, when you talk about letting him guide you, when you recognize that he's the one that causes you to prosper spiritually, where you, you have that peace that passes understanding in your life, when you understand that he is building through you a future and going back to the series before vacation of, of building family teams and making a generational family that goes, that you realize you're just a part of something God started a long time ago and until he comes back, it's going to go a long time past you. And, and you see him as that close friend who shares with you secrets that are for you and not for others. And you recognize him as the deliverer. It brings you to a point of humility and confidence at the same time. Because how did David end this psalm? His, the last phrase in the psalm was, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. It brought him back to where he was and who he was called to lead. There's no doubt in my mind, David was king over Israel when he wrote this song. And his heart was turned back to his obligations that God had given him on this earth. And he said, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. When we get our focus on God and we fear him and, and we begin to let him operate in our lives, he'll turn our heart to the correct things where it's so easy now to just be triggered and argue things politically. I'll tell you, the, this is about where my relationships with, with politics stops is I want to be like David and David was ruling over them. He didn't list out all the flaws of his kingdom. He said, God, here it is. I trust you. Deliver us out of this. When, when the church of God wakes up and realizes it's not our job to save the United States from itself, our job is to share the gospel. If the United States ends tomorrow, guess what? I'm still going to heaven. That's the bottom line. Share the gospel. That's the only eternal value that we have. Love people like Jesus did. I can't find somebody that was wretched enough that Jesus didn't sit down and eat with them. Ouch. I like to eat. Does anyone else like to eat? That's coming back to food. It's time to get out of here, Eddie. <laughs> but it's, it's something where... We miss something so simple 
I'm not telling you go do everything that they do. If, if the Spirit of God tells you, hey, that is sinful, don't do it. But you can go sit amongst them and love them. Be the voice that is the calm to their crazy. Be the voice that's the comfort to their hurt. Be there when everybody else is bailing out and suddenly they'll start to see that there's something different in you. And when they ask what it is, according to the word of God, be ready to give a reason for it. That reason is very simple. The reason my world didn't cave in when this happened was Jesus. The reason when the gas prices went up, I still was able to fill the tank and drive and go to work is Jesus. When I couldn't fill the tank, I walked and I sang the whole way about the goodness of God. I was still able to feed my kids. I was still able to run my air conditioner. Praise the Lord. I was still able to water my grass. I was going to show you a picture today, Erlene. I had an update for you. The, this dirt patch in my grass has grown in over vacation. Do you know what I did to make it grow? Nothing. The reality of this is, and I'm tying this up right here really neatly for you, is that when you walk in friendship with God, the things of this world will slowly start to lose their power and control over you. When you're really in friendship with God and you fear and reverend, reverently honor him for who he is, the, the things of this world that used to trouble you and keep you up at night, they start to lose their power because you're not operating in fear of them. You're operating in the only acceptable type of fear, and that is the fear of God. Because if God speaks, your circumstance changes. I want to be listening to him. I, if I'm going to invest, I want advice from God because <laughs> he owns the cattle on a thousand hilltops, and I know the price of beef and real estate and if he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, I'm pretty sure he's a rich dude. So make it our prayer this morning that God, and ask the hard question, God, do I really fear you? Do I really fear you? Am I really seeking out a close friendship with you? Or, or am I guilty of of making you a convenience. Because that's where the rubber meets the road this morning. Is God a convenience to you or is he a friend? Heavenly Father, thank you for today.